0: Well, it is a wonderful day to be together in light of Graduation Sunday. And there are definitely some things I want to share with our graduates. But the message today is really for all of us, myself included. Because whether we're graduating or not, we've all been forced into a new season of life. The past year or so has really been hard. I think we could all agree on that. For me, I would say hard is an understatement. It's been the most challenging season of my life that I can remember. It's been a season full of loss, full of uncertainty, and full of downright fatigue. It's been a season that's forced us to ask hard questions and challenge the foundations of our lives. It's forced me to reflect on big questions like what's my purpose? What is the good life? And what does it look like to experience true meaning in the midst of what feels so chaotic? Because at the end of it all, right? Pandemic or not, I don't wanna look back on my life and just have survived. I wanna thrive. I wanna experience life to the fullest. And as I thought about all those big questions and ideas, my mind began to wander as it often does. And I'm not sure why, but I couldn't help but think of all the things that have become obsolete over the course of my life. <laughs> things like pay phones and landlines, beepers and pagers, answering machines, phones that aren't smart, floppy disks, VCRs, cassette tapes, CDs, MP3 players, cameras with film you have to get developed, overhead projectors, paper maps, phone books, anything that was previously printed, AOL, email accounts, yep. MySpace accounts, yep. (laughs) Dial-up internet, I mean the list could really go on and on and that's just a couple of the things that I could think of that have essentially become obsolete since I was a kid. I remember my first video game. It was a big clunky Game Boy that didn't have color And you essentially had to look at it in just the right lighting to actually be able to see the screen. (laughs) I also remember playing a flight simulator game on the computer with graphics that were so bad that you might as well just close your eyes and use your imagination. (laughs) But here's what I also remember. In the moment those games were captivating. In the moment, those products that are now essentially obsolete were cutting edge and trendy. But today, They're not very useful. And the only people that would likely be looking to purchase those would maybe be antique collectors. So why am I talking about all the things that have essentially gone obsolete? Well, each of those obsolete items were someone's invention, their livelihood, their life's work. Each of those items took up a lot of focus from somebody. Somebody spent sleepless nights worrying about these products. Somebody felt like their lives were defined by their success or failure. Somebody likely missed their kid's ballet recital or baseball game. Somebody's marriage potentially suffered. Somebody experienced great stress, anxiety, and even burnout. All for items that are now essentially obsolete. Now sure, those items were valuable, and may have even made the world a better place, but if somebody was gonna measure their worth based on the stock market value of floppy disks, the outlook would be pretty bleak. That may be silly, right? But there's nothing like a season of pandemic to make you question your purpose and what it means to live the good life. But here's the problem. In our world, and specifically in our culture here in the US, it can be very easy to find our purpose, our, our meaning, or our value in things or pursuits that at the end of it all won't really matter. Things that may up be, end up being essentially meaningless. Now, the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes does not hold back on this idea when he says everything is meaningless, completely meaningless, What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north, around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the waters return again to the rivers and flow out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, (laughs) but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. Yikes. (laughs) I think we can all agree that this teacher sounds a bit pessimistic. And their message is a bit of a downer, especially given that today is grad Sunday, right? But it's also obvious that the teacher in Ecclesiastes has some things to say that might stand in contrast with the traditionally positive vibes of a commencement speech. Where someone might tell the graduates, you're on your way to seek new vistas Dream new dreams. Embark on who you are. Remember to embrace life with passion and keep reaching for the stars, (laughs) right? Or chasing a dream requires hard work, passion, and many sacrifices. We can't wait to see you accomplish everything your heart desires. Or be bold, be courageous, and be your best. (laughs) Now those quotes, by the way, aren't actually from speeches, but they are from graduation cards, just so you know. Now listen, (laughs) steps toward a goal can be rewarding, right? And dreaming and and working towards a brighter tomorrow can be very, very beautiful. But I want us to get past the somewhat cliche graduation quotes and and answer questions like, what's my purpose? How do I find meaning? What really makes a life well lived? Because I'm fairly confident that most of us aren't wanting to get to the end of our lives and say that was a giant waste of time and energy. Wouldn't that be sad? So for those of you that are feeling a bit bummed out about what I've already shared thus far, here's the good news, right? Each of us were created to experience deep meaning and purpose that's actually rooted in God. God is the source of life. God is the source of meaning and purpose. But separation from God leads down a path towards death, a path full of emptiness, a life filled with pursuits that ultimately won't satisfy. And yet, as humans, we're so prone to pursue meaning and purpose apart from God. It's the story of Adam and Eve, right? Choosing their own way in the garden. The tree was beautiful and the fruit looked promising and delicious, and so they took it. But that treasured fruit where Adam and Eve tried to fill their lives apart from God only led to emptiness and death. It's the story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, choosing their own way time and time again. It's the human story. It's my story. It's likely your story as well. We're all prone to pursue our own way apart from God. But that's why Jesus entered the story, to offer the opportunity for each of us to experience new life, life to the fullest in relationship with God, both now and into eternity. The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus made it possible for each of us to experience a life full of meaning as we're restored to right relationship with God and are commissioned to once again partner with God in bringing life to the world. Jesus knew that we were prone to pursue our own way, and yet he came to offer the opportunity to be restored. But let's be clear. Jesus wasn't only concerned with what happens after we die. In fact, he had plenty to say about the good life that we can experience right now, a life to the fullest, a life filled with purpose and meaning that will continue on into eternity. And spoiler alert, the Jesus way doesn't quite sound like a typical graduation speech. Here's what I think. If Jesus were here today, he might say something similar to what he shared in what's arguably his most famous sermon. You've probably heard of it, the Sermon on the Mount. People from all over had come. They were gathered on the side of a a mountainside and Jesus began to teach them. He said things like, God blesses those who recognize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. He said things like you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He taught his followers to pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And about halfway through his sermon that highlights what it really looks like to be a part of God's kingdom and to experience the good life, Jesus says this in Matthew six, starting in verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If we're honest, this past year, may have exposed the things that we really treasure. Our foundations have been shaken. Our sense of security has been rattled. We've all experienced loss. But Jesus reminds us that there is a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom that is unshakable, a kingdom in which true treasure is secure. But although that may be true, The world is full of things that are beautiful and look enticing and just like Adam and Eve, we all have the choice to pursue the treasures of this world that will ultimately leave us empty. Or we can pursue the treasures of heaven, a life to the fullest in relationship with God, both now and forever. So if we want to experience the true treasure, which I hope that we all do, If we want to experience fullness of life and right relationship with the source of life, what do we do? Well, Jesus says we have to check our focus. He puts it this way in verse 22. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness is. Jesus lets us know that in order to experience the true treasure, we have to check our focus. What are we focused on? Is my perspective healthy? Are my eyes fixed on the source of light? Are my eyes fixed on God or something else? Because if my eyes are fixed on anything else, right, other than God, My body is filled with darkness, or you could say emptiness. And here's the powerful warning that causes me to ask a lot of hard questions of myself. Jesus said that if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness or emptiness really is. Now, Jesus revisits that idea at the end of his sermon where he makes it very clear that just doing churchy things isn't enough. He says this in Matthew 7, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Pay attention to this. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. That passage scares me a bit. Jesus is pointing to our motivation, the root issue, the heart issue. Are we being empowered by the source of light or just trying to look bright while we pursue our own way? There's lots of beautiful things in the world, right? Things that may make us feel good about ourselves and provide a sense of status or security, but if we want to experience life to the fullest, both now and into eternity, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, humbly recognizing him as Savior and Lord, the true source of light. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Money, (laughs) yikes, right? In our world, cash seems to be king. And talking about being enslaved to money, Jesus is pointing out the way we try to build a life of security and stability for ourselves with the treasures that we acquire. But Jesus said, don't be fooled. You can't serve both God and money. And listen, I know myself, right? I'm so prone to take the responsibility onto my back, onto my shoulders to store up enough treasure to be secure. And let's be honest, in our world, money does seem to provide a level of comfort and security. That's why Jesus would later say in Matthew 19 that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Wealth is often married to pride and it's hard to see your need for God when you don't think you need God. You can't serve both God and money. I mean, mean, think about this for just a minute. If Jesus isn't our source, right? The one that we're looking to, who then are we looking to? Chances are in some way or another, I'm looking at myself, as the source, or maybe even one of you. But what do we feel when everything is dependent on us? When all the weight is on our shoulders to provide stability in the midst of a chaotic world? I can speak from experience on this. I feel stress, anxiety, fatigue, burnout, and worry. Guess what? Jesus knew that. Go figure. And he continues by saying this in verse 25. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet, Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. And this is it. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. I'm just gonna say it one more time. (laughs) Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, quick side note. I noticed this this week and I thought maybe you might find this interesting, but when Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need, you know what it sounds like to me? the Lord's prayer, right? Your kingdom come, seek the kingdom. Your will be done, live righteously on earth as it is in heaven and give us this day our daily bread. God will supply your needs. Anyway, the short version of what I think Jesus was saying is this, God cares about you and God who is the source of life can be trusted, sure. You can pursue earthly treasures, right? Status, fame, wealth. But at the end of all, end of all of that, what do you have, right? Stress, worry, anxiety, fatigue, burnout, emptiness, and ultimately, death. Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and God will give you everything you need. But at the end of the day, right, the choice is up to us. The choice is ours. Now, before we kind of get to the ending of all this, let's jump back to Ecclesiastes, right? Where everything under the sun seemed meaningless, right? The author of Ecclesiastes concludes the book by once again quoting the somewhat pessimistic teacher by saying, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. But then, pay attention to this, the author of the book takes over and continues by saying, keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise, and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives his sheep. right? But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. All the graduates said, amen. (laughs) That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion, the author says. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. You see, the author of Ecclesiastes and Jesus seem to agree that the good life is found when we prioritize God from the surface all the way down to the very core of our being. Why? Well, ultimately, because God is God, but not only that. God is a source of life and and God loves us so much, right? Jesus proved it when he paid the price to make it possible for us to experience life to the fullest as part of the kingdom of God. A life filled with, with purpose and freedom from the overwhelming worry of being the source of your own strength, the source of your own provision, the source of your own wisdom. So whether we're graduating or not, as we all step out into the unknown of this season, I hope we can create some space to ask the same question. A question I want us to really, really reflect on. What does it look like to seek the kingdom of God above all else? What does that actually look like in our day-to-day lives? What does it look like to seek the kingdom of God above everything else? What does it look like when when I'm making decisions about where I live, where I work, where I go to school? What does it look like to seek the kingdom of God in my relationships with friends, with my family, with strangers, or even my enemies? What does it look like to seek the kingdom of God with how I spend my time, my money, my energy? What does it look like to seek the kingdom of God when deciding what to watch on Netflix? What does it look like to seek the kingdom of God above everything else, both individually, right, on a personal level, and together as the body of Christ? Take a minute. Think about the last week. Did I, did we, did you, prioritize the kingdom of God above everything else? Listen, in reality, I don't have an exact answer to this question, but it's a question I'm personally trying to ask myself more and more, right? Every day, with every breath, in every moment, what does it look like to seek the kingdom of God above all else? Because I really believe this, that in the midst of the wind, and the waves of this chaotic world, the kingdom of God is an unshakable foundation where we can experience an abundant life that's filled with purpose as we partner with God in bringing life to the world. So as we get ready to sing this next song, I want us to genuinely posture ourselves in an attitude of prayer before the Lord and ask the question, God, what does it look like to seek you, to seek first the kingdom above everything else?